Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning and welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're here today and uh, we're going to study the Bible for a while with you. That's what we do each week is uh, we just answer questions about the Bible. Uh, we get those from our viewing audience. Uh, you'll notice there's a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. We've got some operators standing by right now, but uh, any other time there will be a, a machine or something to pick up your question or the website is always open and we get lots of questions at all hours on there. So that's how we operate. We take uh, specific questions. We get a lot. Uh, somebody says, what's this verse mean? What's this uh, doctrine mean? Uh, we get a lot of questions also just about life in general and uh, what's going on in your life and what the Bible might have to say about it. Uh, some good advice from the Bible sometimes comes in handy. So whatever's on your mind about the Bible or your life, give us a chance to find you in a Bible answer. Uh, call the phone number, log on to the website, and let us know what you want us to talk about. I'll know your Bible. Toby Levering's here. Good morning, Toby. Hi, Steve. I'm glad you're here and uh, ready to answer some of these good questions and interesting questions. Uh, we always have one small question to start for our viewers, so here's that one. Who baptized Jesus? I imagine we get a pretty high score on this one. About everybody knows that, uh, but we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See who the uh, baptized Jesus himself. All right, Toby, I think you get to start today. So what, got an what's election your question. Oh, that's just what we need. Exactly. An election question. <laughs> <laughs> totally uncontroversial. Fortunately, we haven't really had any scandal selections. I mean, this shouldn't nah, be a problem at no all. No problem. <laughs> And the statement is, I consider both candidates in an election to be evil. Uh, how would you handle it? Well, okay. Um, I, I think there are times when, as certainly I'm going to pres presume that the viewer is asking from a God-centered worldview and they're trying to make the right decision, and I appreciate that they desire to, that they take that responsibility very seriously. Um, I think the simple answer is uh, that, and I, I have practiced this, sometimes I have gone down on the ballot and there is a choice between two people, either I, you know, more often it has to do with judges or something like that, and I, I simply don't know, I was surprised by the option on the ballot, and so I simply abstained on that section of the ballot, more out of my ignorance, but I didn't want to take the chance of choosing someone who would stand up for things that I don't believe in. But uh, <clears throat> ever since I, that happened, I've done my, my level best. Uh, when I n go into the, the voting booth, I know exactly what's coming up on the ballot, and I have an idea of which way I want to vote. Um, most people, when I hear uh, the, the phrase, you know, every, all politicians are crooked and both candidates are crooked and so forth, uh, are just really using that as an excuse not to vote. They just say, well, you know, it's all a mess, everybody's crooked. And to me, that's painting with a very broad brush. I think that's 
lazy is the polite way to say it, uh, or the impolite way to say it. It, it, it. You're just saying, yeah, I don't really want to deal with it. I don't want to take the time to be informed. I don't want to pay attention to what I believe. I just don't want to get involved. And besides, they're all crooked anyway. Well, that's not good because then you end up, and you, you know, those are often the very people, and they complain about why things are the way things are. Well, a great deal of the reason the way things are has to do with the leaders and the character of the men and women we choose to lead us. So we have to pay attention to that. Um, the Bible doesn't deal with that because, uh, you know, the, the luxury, the privilege that we have of voting in America has been a luxury uh, that has not been afforded through most of the world today and throughout history. When Paul talked about uh, our dealings with our leaders and praying for people in government, he was talking about the Caesars and people who, you know, could absolutely um, torture Christians and and uh, make their life terrible. So it, it is a wonderful blessing that we've been given to live in this country and to participate in the election of our leaders. I think that goes along with the area of stewardship. We have to be very thoughtful. If God's given us this power to choose those who lead us, we should be very thoughtful and wise in the men and women we select to lead us. At what other time have Christians been allowed to be directly involved with who governs them? So, great privilege, great responsibility. Couple suggestions: one, be educated. You know, read the news, pay attention to the people who are running, know what, know the issues, and know what God says about the issues. Secondly, uh, you got to give weight to the larger issues. To me, as a Christian, you got to pay attention. You know, the, the 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 sanctity of life weighs more deeply than our foreign policy. Um, you have to weigh those issues with God's values in mind, and and then. Do your do your very best to elect men and women who fear the Lord. They may they may not agree 100% on your theology, but they fear the Lord and they want to do what's right. Uh, and then finally, of course, is to pray for them. Pray during the election and after the election, even if the person you uh, thought should win didn't. Uh, let's read First Timothy chapter two, verses uh, one and two. Paul says, "I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness." It's a wonderful privilege. Engage yourself in the process and do your best and pray. All right. If you want to know what the title Reverend <coughs> means. What does the title reverend mean? Well, if you look at the dictionary, it just says reverend is a, a title for ministry and Christian clergy. It doesn't really tell you what it means. Uh, the word obviously has something to do with revere, uh, which is honor, but it's a little higher than honor, it sounds like. Uh, revere is <clears throat> something that sounds like it might be applicable to God or holy things or divine things. Uh, so that's what it means. Now, uh, not everyone uses it. Uh, different denominations use it different ways. Uh, some kind of, I think, when you get a ministry degree from a seminary, maybe you're legal to be called reverend from then on or something in that denomination. Uh, Church of Christ are kind of interesting in this. We don't claim to use the term reverend. Uh, we don't apply that title to ourselves as ministers within the churches of Christ. Uh, part of the reason is because that word does sound like that it reveres something. And as men, we don't want to be revered. Uh, 
there is a verse in the Bible that uh, some people take real literally and say we nobody should use the title because it's God's name. Uh, Psalm 111 verse 9, uh, Psalm 111 starts out, I will extol the Lord with all my heart. And then it talks about how great God is. When it gets down to verse 9, it says, Holy and reverend is His name. Uh, so His name, God's name is holy. It's set apart. It's special. And it's reverend. It's to be revered. It's to be honored in that way. Uh, so because of that, and generally Jesus' teaching on not uh, taking titles and not wanting to be called special things. Uh, Toby or I don't go by the term reverend. Uh, some people sometimes use that out in public and all that, and I don't uh, make a big deal out of it, but uh, we don't claim that title for ourselves or use it anyway. But uh, what it means is usually in today in today's culture, it's just kind of a general term for somebody who's a minister or a clergyman of some sort uh, is what that means. Okay. Uh, you were asked about a specific verse, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. It says, anyone who marries someone who is divorced is committing adultery. There are lots of divorced uh, lots of people divorced, so this is confusing. Well, okay, let's start by looking at the verse that you ask about, Matthew chapter 5, verses 31 through 32. On the screen, Jesus says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Well, this, this seems... Uh, pretty harsh. And of course, the viewers, right, there are a lot of divorced people. Uh, are they all committing a, adultery? Well, in uh, first of all, you have to understand that in that age, uh, divorce was, I don't know if it was more rampant, but certainly was equally as rampant as it is today, uh, where people could get divorced for any and every reason. There's a infamous example of a man, a rabbi teaching that you could divorce your wife if she burnt the bread. And so it was just absolutely people were just uh, throwing away marriages over very trivial things. And Jesus is sort of saying, you know, the purpose of marriage is not what you guys have made it. You guys have twisted it and perverted it a little bit, and you've devalued it greatly. Now, we, we know that's true in our culture today as well. Our people who don't give one thought to the word, the, the commitment, the vows that they make uh, when things get tough, when, when it gets inconvenient, when they find someone else, uh, for whatever the reason, they just discard those vows. Well, God takes your word very seriously. He takes your commitment very seriously. And certainly if you made those pledges in front of God and to God and to each other, uh, Jesus is really pointing to the fact that God intends you uh, to keep your vows for a lifetime. That's what God intended, one, ma one man and one woman for one lifetime. Uh, he goes back uh, in another uh, part of Matthew, and he goes back to the very beginning. So, uh, and we'll look at that here in just a second, but adultery is when uh, someone marries someone or has sexual relations with another married person. Jesus is saying, look, when the two become one, I intend them to stay one. And you guys are becoming one and separating into two and marrying another and going back and forth. He said, that's adulterous. 
stay faithful to the one to whom you made your commitment. Um, so the point is this, God has always taken the covenant very seriously, and Jesus did too, and He wants us to. He wants us to work in our marriage, invest in our marriage, take time for our marriage, and, and stay uh, true uh, to the one to whom we made those vows. I was talking to a gentleman just at church the other day. He and his wife have been married uh, 63 years, long time. His wife's going through some health problems, very difficult for him. But he's a very honorable man. He takes care of her. He watches over her. He tends to her needs almost 16 hours a day. Uh, it's hard. It's not easy. But I looked him in the eye and I said, I appreciate your honor and your faithfulness to your wife. It's a great example to young men like me and all of us of what being married is all about. This is where Jesus went to when he talked about it. He went all the way back to the beginning. Let's look Matthew chapter 19. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Uh, God takes that very seriously, and we should as well. All righty. May invite you to study some Bible with us in a little different way than we do here on the program. We've got some free materials that we'll send to you and let you study the Bible at home. Uh, I know we've got a lot of longtime Bible students and people that are very familiar with the Bible. We also have a lot of viewers that just haven't ever gotten started in Bible study and would like to. We've got some free materials that make that very easy to get started uh, and definitely free to get started. Uh, you see some lessons on the screen right now. This is what the first course looks like. There are eight lessons in it, and it's just a good overview of the Bible, very basic, non-denominational, doesn't tie anything to any church creed or anything. It's just Bible study, uh, seeing what the Bible simply says about some of the basic things of life and some of the basic Bible doctrines. Great way to get familiar with your Bible. Really good way to form a regular habit of Bible study. If you go through these eight lessons and stick with it, uh, you'll probably kind of get to where you enjoy studying the Bible. And then we've got some more advanced courses that we're happy to send you. Keep you studying the Bible for a long time with Know Your Bible Study Tools. Phone number, website on the screen. Use either of those. Tell us you want that free course. We'll get it started for you. We think you'll enjoy it. A uh, question about baptism, if you've never been baptized, does that mean you won't go to heaven? Well, uh, people that have watched this program very long know that we get a lot of questions about baptism. Uh, we teach that baptism is when you are saved. Uh, we don't teach that baptism saves you, that you're saved by the grace of God. Uh, the response of faith, but it happens at baptism. We get that from the Bible and we're happy to discuss that anytime somebody asks. Uh, but here's one of the kind of questions we get. Uh, people have been taught that, no, you're saved when you believe. You're saved when you accept Christ into heart, your heart. You're saved when you say a prayer or something like that. Uh, so they say, you mean to tell me that if I don't get baptized, I'm not going to heaven? Well, first of all, we're not in the judgment business. God can do whatever He wants. Uh, what we share with you on this program is what the Bible says about salvation and what God chose to share with us. And what is in the Bible is every time there's somebody 
that saved, that changes from being a sinner uh, to a saved person, uh, it happens at baptism. Uh, we've gone through all those lists before, and you see it. Uh, every case of salvation happens at baptism. Uh, we've shown you verses like Romans chapter 6, where Paul said to the Christians in Rome, chapter 6, verse two, uh, 3, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay? So Paul says, well, all Christians know that. Uh, how did we get into Christ? We were baptized into him. Uh, we did that so we could live a new life. So uh, we show you things like that. Um, and that's all we can do is show you what the Bible says. Uh, one of the great examples to answer this question, I think, is a viewer says, uh, you, if you've never been baptized, you mean you're not going to heaven. Okay, Look at the case of the Apostle Paul. Of course, he was Saul then, uh, and everybody knows the story. He was on the road to Damascus. He saw Jesus. Uh, he confessed Jesus. He believed that he was Lord. He confessed him as Lord. Uh, he prayed and fasted for three days. He received a divine healing. He did all of those things. And our viewer would probably say, you mean after all those things, uh, he wasn't saved? Well, here's what the preacher said to him in Acts 22:16. After all of those things had happened, uh, Ananias said to Saul, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So after all of that had happened, Paul still had sins. And they hadn't been washed away at the time of baptism. So that's what the Bible says about it. That's how we answer these kind of questions. And that's why we believe that baptism is when we are saved. And we believe you ought to be baptized. Mm -hmm. All right, Toby. Okay, a uh, question about predestination. A viewer says, what does the Church of Christ think of predestination? Well, I want to start by answering a famous uh, preacher I heard say one time when he was asked, are you Church of Christ? His answer was, well, not all of it. <laughs> and uh, I want to speak here and, and say this, my answer I'm going to give you is my biblical, my personal biblical understanding of predestination, uh, what the Church of Christ believes in general. We tried to just teach what the Bible teaches, but you're going to get some variance probably as you go from Church of Christ to Church of Christ. Uh, predestination is the doctrine originated by St. Augustine, uh, later uh, also by John Calvin, and it's the idea that God uh, for, for no, uh, has foreknowledge of everything that's going to happen uh, in our world, and especially the salvation, who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And you're, so you're predestined uh, that what's going to happen is going to happen, and uh, there's really nothing you can do to change that or even to affect that one way or the other. Uh, the, the doctrine teaches that if you're saved, you can't be lost, and that if you're lost, you can't be saved. And I believe that the Bible clearly teaches against this doctrine. Now, the, here's the difficulty. If God is all-knowing, um, does He know what choice we're going to make? And if He knows what choice we're going to make and He cannot be wrong, then do we truly have a free choice? I understand the difficulty of our, our understanding of how God can 
know things ahead of time and still have we still have the ability to make free choice. As an example, I'm holding up this pen. Now, if I ask the question, does God know whether I'm going to hold on to this pen in my hand or drop it? And is there a way that I can make a choice that God doesn't, that, that proves God wrong? And, well, the answer to that would be no. <laughs> well, then do I really have a free choice? It's kind of the, the thinking on predestination. Uh, <clears throat> I I kind of understand what I think Steve has explained it this way in the program before uh, an illustration of a chess master playing a, a someone a very novice student and and of course both players have free will they can move however they want but the chess master knows exactly his will which of course is to win and he knows how to achieve that will no matter what choices you make so yes you have free choice his will will still be done. Um, the Bible teaches that we do have free choice. That, that we have the choice whether or not to believe that Jesus is Lord or not. The choice whether to follow Him and serve Him in our lives or not. Um, and that choice is ours until the moment that we die. And then after that, we face judgment based on that choice. Um, if all things are predetermined, then our actions have no consequence. Uh, there's no purpose in evangelism or preaching the gospel. Uh, there's no need for repentance or faith. Uh, if you really think through it, if everything's predetermined, uh, there doesn't leave much work for the church to do. And I just, reading through the New Testament, God has much for His church to be doing uh, and that we need to be about. And all of that tends to be helping people to grow in Christ, mature in Christ, and learn to make decisions and live their lives like Christ. So, uh, I, I don't think the Bible teaches predestination. I do understand how it's confusing, but I believe he wants everyone to use their free will and their free choice to choose uh, the last best hope of man, which is his son, Jesus Christ. Let's read Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And if things were going to work out exactly as without our free will being involved at all, why in the world would God be patient? Okay, so that's my explanation of it, and uh, I don't think it's a biblical teaching. Okay, all right. Remember the old joke about the fatalist, the guy that believed in predestination that fell down the stairs and got up at the bottom and brushed himself off said, well, glad that one's out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> I, I can't, can't escape it, right? <laughs> All right. Viewer wants to know, can dying people speak to people who have already passed on? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, we've never had a dying person report on that. And I know that t today there's a lot of people that write books and say they died and went to heaven for three days or something and came back and here's what it was all like. Uh, that's not a biblical thing. Nobody in the Bible that uh, went to heaven was allowed to talk about it. The, the one case we know of, uh, Lazarus, the widow's son, and others that were raised back to life, uh, didn't give us a report. They didn't tell us who they talked to or anything else. So we don't know. Uh, I think the point about talking to already dead people is that the Bible teaches against trying that. He, even 
considering it. Let's read a verse from Deuteronomy that, of course, it's Old Testament, but here's kind of what God thought about it. Deuteronomy chapter 18, let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, God was against those things. There's this world and there's the world of the dead, and I don't think he intends for them to mix and match. So uh, whether a dying person can do that or not, somehow, I don't think anybody knows, but uh, it's not something we could should uh, worry about or certainly not something we should seek or try to do. All right, let me take just a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we don't want to mention one particular today, the Burlington Church of Christ up in Burlington, Iowa. If you're watching on the Rock Island station there, the Burlington Church is the, uh, our partner in that area and a great group of folks drop in and visit them sometime or uh, whatever market area you're in, visit the Church of Christ. Tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right. Okay, got a pretty easy one. I think we can answer pretty quickly. All and right. that is, where in the Bible can I find the date of Christmas? And the answer to that is you cannot find that in the Bible. Um, you cannot find any date for when Jesus was born. That was adopted much later. Uh, <clears throat> and some have tried to pinpoint using various clues, but that's all uh, just speculation. Um, the important part of the Christmas story is obviously not when he was born. Otherwise, Jesus or God would have put that in there, but that he was born. Let's read Matthew chapter. Chapter 1, verses 21 through 25 together, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this to took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And I think that's the best part of the story. Okay. Of course, some people reason that uh, the reason God didn't give us a date or didn't leave a piece of Noah's Ark around, or yep. didn't leave a piece of the cross around, was that we'd have made a big deal out of it. Yep, we tend and, to do that. <laughs> yeah, and we do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we have made a big deal out of Christmas, uh, and some people reason that we, we make too big a deal out mm -hmm. of it, that uh, his birth was not what God wanted us to celebrate. Uh, he wanted us to think about his death every Sunday and all of that. So uh, some people go a little further and say, oh, there's a reason God didn't tell us some mm -hmm. of those things. And we ought to take that to heart and be a little more <laughs> uh, concentrating on what we ought to concentrate on. So, And man does that. If mm -hmm. we've got an icon or a date or something, we we tend to worship that we tend somehow. To latch on to it. Yep. <laughs> All right, got a question about uh, in Joshua 10, did the sun really stand still? And uh, yes, it really stood still because the Bible says so. Uh, some people try to explain miracles away and to come up with some uh, physical reason for them. Uh, but that's what miracles are, is a suspension of nature. So yes, the sun stood still. I don't know how God did it or... or uh, the, all the ramifications of it, but if it said God did it, God did it. All right, we're out of time today for new questions, but we do want to get our trivia question answered today, so let's go back to that one. Who baptized Jesus? Well, almost everybody knows that was a fellow named John. In fact, he was called the baptizer or the Baptist. Uh, he thought he did as he came preparing the way for uh, Christ, and he 
taught baptism and baptized people uh, to get them ready for the kingdom of God, and he baptized Jesus himself. We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.